good to see you, and today is a, a, a wonderful day. I, I gave the challenge last week that we were going to talk about resurrection today, and I know some of you are going like, is this Easter Sunday? No, we talk about resurrection other than just on Easter Sunday, and I want to make sure that as we uh, share and talk a little bit about resurrection, that we really get a good grasp of the importance of what it is especially as we uh, live in a world where we get lots of questions and we get lots of inquiring minds, so to speak, uh, that want to know a little bit more about our faith and if what we believe truly is, is real. Uh, well, there's a, there's a two-word phrase, however, that uh, catches our attention almost on a daily basis. And that two-word phrase uh, is used to make sure that we don't follow the lines or thoughts of what someone else says. And when that two-word phrase is thrown out, it's, it's like it's wanting us to dodge maybe what we might know to be truth or question whether it is or isn't. And that two-word phrase we hear a lot today is fake news. And that term fake news is not something new. Uh, they, they heard that term back in the days of the resurrection of Jesus. When they came to the empty tomb and the soldiers were harangued by Pilate and others and brought to his attention, and he was asking them, was the resurrection real and all that, there was a conspiracy for them to tell not the truth, that they were to say it was fake news, that the tomb was actually found empty. We know when the women ran to Peter and the other disciples in the upper room and they were sharing this great news that Jesus had risen, Peter and the others looked at the women and said, y'all are crazy. That's fake news. There's no way that that can be true. And so it really begs the question that as we deal with that term in other ways that we see in the world today, it begs the question, is the resurrection real? And if it is real, how do we understand it and how do we apply it in our lives, in our daily world? Well, it doesn't take me to tell you that our westernized culture calls us to question everything. Now, my children are 30, or I guess now 39 and 21. It means I'm a year older now. Oh, my goodness. So 39 and 21, and they're coming of the generation that's called the millennials. And that generation, they ask a lot of questions, and they don't just take something as an absolute truth. The days when we were raised, you all and I, as we were raised in our households, our parents looked at us and said, you're going to know this, and you're going to believe this because I told you so, and that's the way it is, and you read about it, and so on, and we took it as truth. Well, the, the generations of today don't see it that way. So our westernized culture is constantly under scrutiny. And a couple generations ago, uh, the message about the existence of God and the resurrection was received as total truth. And today, as I shared a little while ago, today it's more of a skeptic's sense. We're not sure. They're not sure. They ask a lot of questions. So this causes us to live in a world that is constantly filled with skepticism. So that means that our beliefs and our values and our life's direction, they've all been jaded by much of our struggle to find truth in the world. And as we seek to find truth in the world, it often hails messages and actions that come our way. And depending upon what those messages and actions are, at times they can be very confusing. That what we thought might be true, what we thought was a value that we uphold, that all of a sudden something else is occurring in our midst and it causes us to question the validity and the truth that is it. We see that systems which once represented our, our true values as a people no longer hold the value of truth. Daily, we question the integrity of our political leaders. 
We see sexual scandals emerge in churches that we lift up as the model of the church that all churches should be in the midst of today's world. We even see that it is, we, we hail the words that, that we want to be people that believe and trust and live into different ethnicity. And yet we still find in today's world, you can get arrested for sitting in a Starbucks. The challenges and the things that we see, it, it brings up the question, what is real and what is fake? And how do we as Christians see through that? How do we interpret? How do we become truth tellers in the midst of a world that is filled with skepticism? And that's the reason why I want to take us back to Easter. I want to take us back to this point because it's important for us to understand that Easter and the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Listen to me. If we truly believe that the resurrection is real and everything as we are as Christians hinges upon that, then it's game on. Then we can go and we can live the kind of life and trust fully in God's grace and all that we do. But if, if at all there's a little bit of skepticism, if there's this one little thought that says that maybe, just maybe, that there isn't truth to the resurrection, that it says that everything in which we believe the foundation crumbles, and the faith that we confess has no truth or validity at all. The resurrection of Jesus is what launched the church, and it's really what launched Christianity. And I would be so bold to say that before, before the resurrection, there were no Christians. In fact, we, we know that the Christian church didn't start until that first plant at Antioch. It happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We might even say that, that before the resurrection, that maybe there weren't even a host of committed Christians or committed followers, I should say, of Jesus. How do we know that? Because the Bible records to us that the ones even the most closely to the Lord at the greatest time of his life's need fled and went different ways. In fact, this is the same group of people that believed in what everybody believed, that when someone is nailed to a cross, when they die, that they don't do the unthinkable. They stay dead, and there's nowhere for them to go but in the grave. So I doubt on that first Easter Sunday that there were people that were really thinking that they would go to the tomb and see that the Lord had been raised from the dead. Why did the women carry the spices? Why were the men held up or hold up in a dark room, fearing what Rome might say. They had no idea, even though Jesus had spoken to them on multiple occasions as to what would happen, they had no idea that this would happen. Nowhere in what we could see did anyone go to the tomb specifically to say the words, he is risen, only to find that they had other plans. Well, I want to take us to uh, Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to um, do a little bit of uh, verse by verse for a little bit here, because I think it's really important for us to take a look at what Paul says. And I want to I hinge a majority of where I'm going today upon the teachings of this great apostle. And I think you'll find out as we go through our teaching time why I want to do that. But, but before I do, um, let's just bow our heads for a second and let's just meditate God, we're, we're here not to hear fake news. We're here to hear real news. We're here to hear the truth that Christ was indeed risen. And God, as we uh, go through this writings of uh, the Apostle Paul, as we look to what Paul has to say, help us to learn something today 
but more importantly, help us to take it as greater truth in the life in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and let's start at uh, verse 1, and let's go through verse 8. Listen to what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, and if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So Paul is saying, be reminded of the words that I gave to you, and believe them, because if you believe in them, you are with God, okay? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Now, this is really important. Paul is saying that there are eyewitnesses, not just a handful, but how many? Over 500 who have actually seen and experienced the presence of Jesus after this resurrection. Okay, it says that, um, uh, he says, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of them who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Remember that term, fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now, when we say abnormally born, Paul is referencing the fact that, that he, didn't, he was not born a Christian. Paul was born um, as a, actually a, the greatest enemy of Christianity. He was a Pharisee. He was responsible for the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr that we know in history. And Paul was out to get any person who said they followed Jesus or the way. So when he says, I'm, not, I'm abnormally born, he is talking about this transformation that he was not originally, but he became. And that's important for us to remember as well. Verse nine, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. no. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. So Paul says that, that it really took him to make a difference in his own life, to work hard, to understand, because he didn't get to follow Jesus. He didn't get to be one of the original 12, and he had to work hard, and we're going to find out how he did that, to really understand this gospel in addition to experiencing the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Let's go on with verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's what I said in my opening. If the resurrection is not real, then everything that we stand upon is a lie. That we might as well just pack up and go home. But Paul is saying that's different. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. More than that, verse 13, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ 
has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, there's that term again, fallen asleep, they are lost as well. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There it is again. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So in Christ all will be made alive. So that term fall asleep that I kept pointing out, it's really interesting because in the, in the ancient world, as they were putting together these manuscripts of what we see now as a Bible, they did not use the word dead. They used the word fall asleep because when someone falls asleep, what do they usually do? They wake up. So, so you'll see all throughout Scripture, it uses this term, fall asleep, and they wake up. So what we're seeing is that Paul is heralding the confidence in the resurrection, that those who are died, that that is not the end, but that they will come back to life, and he says these things with confidence. So today, as we're, as we're going to be here talking a few minutes about resurrection, as we're thinking about the significance of this, I recognize that there's probably three groups of people that are sitting here today. Some of you who are sitting here, you, sometimes you, you just kind of wonder um, if you'll ever see your loved ones again. And I hope that as we talk about today, uh, those of you whose loved ones have died and, and gone on to life eternal, that you'll be assured that, yes, you will see them. There's another group of folks who are here today, and you're saying, hey, in the 21st century, the only thing I can think of about coming back to life is in a zombie movie. And you might be thinking that, well, it's only about zombies, but how can we do that? That's a second group of people that I know that I'm talking to today. And the third group of people are the people that are like most of us. What we say is, hey, I was raised in the church. I was, I was uh, taught in the church. I went to confirmation. I went on youth retreats. I got my T-shirt. Uh, I was baptized in the church. Uh, I was told everything that I was supposed to believe, but then something happened. I, I left the church after school. I either went off to college or I went off to trade school or I got married or whatever. And then all of a sudden, I got away from the church and I started talking to all these other people who had these fantastic questions about the faith that I couldn't answer because the cookie cutter answers that my church gave me, that I, th they didn't apply. And therefore, I'm here today asking these questions so that I know how to respond to the people who have these really hard questions. Maybe that's some of you all here who are here today. And I think that all three of these groups are groups that can really gain a greater knowledge of where we see the truth of the resurrection. So, so the truth is that, that resurrection is found in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 that, that we've just read. And what we learn about this is that Paul's words tell us that there is no such thing as fake news when it comes to the resurrection. Now, many today, here's what they argue. Many today who are skeptics, many today who are maybe atheists, maybe agnostics, maybe they're skeptics of the faith. What they say is, as, as Christians, y'all believe in a lot of hokey stuff. And what I mean by that is they'll say that you believe on something that was, is just on oral tradition, that somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody that ultimately it got written down. And, and because of that, that's what you believe in. That's what the skeptics say, okay? And we know, we all know that if we were to do the little exercise that we learned in school, and if I were to go over here to Don Brash and tell Don a quick sentence and tell him to whisper it to Barbara, and then Barbara whispered to someone else, by the time it got to 10 people, what I told Don would be totally different. Would you agree with that? 
or it would be mostly different. Not that Don would mislead us in any way. He'd tell the truth. But, but the whole point that we see from that is that, that skeptics say because it's a, of an oral account that Christianity and the things that we have cannot be believed, that it cannot be what it says because they said that over time that it gets morphed, it gets translated, it gets differentiated, and it causes problems. So today I'm going to probably tell you something that maybe some of you have never heard before. I'm going to share with you some things that, that some of you might be saying, wait a minute, I never knew that about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the hope is every Sunday is not for either me or Pastor Pam or whatever church that you might be in. The hope of, the, of pastors is not to tell you stuff you already know. It's to stretch our minds and to stretch our faith so that we understand more. So, so here's a couple of truths. All scholars, and I'm gonna use that term with endearment as well as with force. All scholars, all scholars believe that the Apostle Paul was a real person. They truly believe that he wasn't some created, fabricated person that wound up in biblical times that somebody wrote about just to teach a lesson or for the church to use as a way to manipulate people into understanding the faith. So all scholars, all scholars, whether they are Christian or whether they're not Christian, all scholars believe Paul was a real person. And they truly believe that he was one who had the greatest influence on Christianity. Now, some of you are going to send me an email and say, wait a minute, Jesus did. I'm talking about during his life and his time, the Apostle Paul can look at as a historical figure to have a great impact on the life of Christianity because out of that time, more was birthed in the life of the church than ever before. So we see historically some great things that, that we see from that. What we also know is that Paul is, is said to have written several of the letters that we have in the New Testament. What we may not know is that all of the letters that people attribute to Paul may not have been written by Paul. But we do know that seven specific letters were indeed written by Paul. We can verify that historically. Some of the others are in question. We'd probably have to look more in depth for that. But the whole point that I'm trying to get at with that is in the early church and in the early world in the first, second, third centuries, they used something called pseudepigrapha. That's a huge word, pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha means that someone else is writing in a style of someone else. That if I write like you and you're well known, then it, somebody's going to probably read what I wrote because they think you wrote it. Does that make sense? And we see a lot of that throughout history. We see a lot of that throughout biblical history as well. So, so this happened a lot in those early things. Let me put up a chart that, uh, that we have this morning of some things that, that I really want you to, to see. And I, I want us to kind of follow along with some of this. So, so 1 Corinthians was actually written around 55 AD. And that's when we see that that, that letter was actually written. Um, most scholars, if you go to the far left, most scholars agree that Jesus was likely crucified in 32 AD. So that would be, what, a 33-year span or excuse me, I can't even do math this morning, a 23-year span from when Jesus was crucified and Paul wrote this letter to the, uh, to the church in Corinth. So there's about a 23-year span of things that we see here. And, and um, a lot of folks will say, you see, this is exactly why skeptics challenge the validity of the resurrection. Because over 23 years, a lot can be done with the terminology and the stories that are told. So we see some things here. Now, Paul actually visited the church in Corinth in 52. Remember when I read you 1 Corinthians 55 or 1 Corinthians 15? He said, remember what I told you 
when I was with you. He wrote the letter, 1 Corinthians, three years after his visit there. So what we know by that, even that three-year span is that the people in Corinth were already hearing about Christianity. It wasn't 55, it was 52. So we know that now it's shrinking the gap between the time that Jesus was crucified on the cross and we begin to learn about some of the writings that we see. Paul says, I want to remind you in 55 what I told you in 52. And this information he's reminding them is information that they've heard before. And Paul is passing on to them very important information about the resurrection of Jesus. And specifically, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So Paul wrote this in 55, telling people about it in 52. Now it's just 20 years since the resurrection or the death of Jesus at that particular time. So Paul truly believes that Jesus rose from the dead and he truly believed that all the words that he was told by the eyewitnesses were indeed to be true. So now this begins to blow the argument about people who dispute the resurrection because they say too much time has been there and no one really knows what was said. But what I've just shown you is that it is less than a generation now and people theoretically could still be alive who indeed saw Jesus raised from the dead now that we're looking at a 20-year time span. So if we go 12 years after the crucifixion, Paul is claiming that Peter and the 12, um, Jesus appeared to them. Paul says Jesus appeared to Peter and the 12. And it's that same Peter that Paul says saw Jesus. The same Peter who denied Jesus. The same Peter who walked with Jesus. How does Paul know about Peter? We look at uh, some other things that he says and where we get the clue that Paul is pulling in his understanding of what the apostle saw. Remember, he was not there, but we know what he saw comes out of the letter called Galatians. Galatians is likely the earliest Christian letter written. It was written in 49. So he says three years after he became a Christian, he was converted um, after he went to Jerusalem and he went and saw Peter at that particular time. So think about it. If you had the opportunity to go sit down with the Apostle Peter, would you do it? If you had the opportunity to sit down with any of the original apostles, would you do it? So that's what Paul did. Paul said after his conversion, he went and he spent time with Peter. It says here in Galatians 1, after three years experiencing, after experiencing Jesus while on the road to Damascus, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, with Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, who was the Lord's half-brother. I assure you before God that what I'm telling you is no lie. So Paul sees Peter, and he also sees the half-brother of Jesus, who is James. And this is amazing because James did not believe his brother Jesus to be the Messiah until after the resurrection. So we see another key piece of evidence of this happening. So this meeting that Paul has with Peter and James, this meeting, let's go back to the chart, this meeting happens around 40. So now how far are we from the, from the crucifixion of Jesus? 
We're now eight years, okay? So he says it happened three years after becoming a believer, which means that Paul became a believer probably around 37 AD. How much time after the resurrection of Jesus? Five years. Is it plausible that this is, is, that this is not oral tradition that got morphed and transformed over 25 years, but instead it's the truth that was communicated in a short span of time. The answer is absolutely on. But here's more, and this is probably the part that some of you may not have ever heard before. You know, some of us want to think that, um, you know, that, that the words that Paul used were things that he just came up with, but they're not. In fact, some of his writings, if we look at, we see that Paul probably inserted the words in his writing that were from some of the early creeds of Christianity, Pastor Pam led us earlier in the Apostles' Creed, and she said these are powerful words. Who learned the creeds? Well, in this particular time of biblical times, most people couldn't read, they couldn't write, so how did you learn things? You were taught things, right? So they were taught how to, to say things and to know things and to understand things in creeds. So I want to I test the validity of this this morning, all right? So I want you to say, I want you to say the ABC Rhyme with me, okay? Come on, let's just, just humor me, do this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I've learned my ABCs. Soon I'll have my PhD. <laughs> All right? So now, so now, did you, did you hear that? Some of you all were getting ready to say something else, and I changed it, all right? So let's say it again, and let's use the words that I gave. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I've learned my ABCs. Soon I'll have my PhD. You see, it didn't take you long to learn that at all, did it? Give yourself a hand. All right. So what I'm trying to get to you here is that you see how easy it is to learn a creed. And this is what happens. So, so Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is proof positive that, that people saw Jesus die and they articulated what they saw and they put it into a creed. So all letters prove that the eyewitnesses were proclaiming the resurrection while they were still alive. So this wasn't uh, Uncle Joe told me what happened, and he's been dead for 50 years, and I'm trying to remember what he said. I could go to Uncle Joe's house and say, tell it to me again, and Uncle Joe could do that. So we see these things coming into play and some things that are coming into belief. So, so some might argue that, well, Paul is just a liar. But let me tell you, no, no scholar who has, who's worth their salt would ever say that Paul was a liar. Even atheist scholars would never say that Paul is a, is a liar because they understand that the Apostle Paul gave up a lot. He gave up his vocation as a Pharisee. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his family. He gave up all of this in the pursuit to show the love, the grace, and the truth of Jesus Christ. And we see some significant things that, that came out of this. So here's my final word on resurrection. People will die every day for things that they believe in. We have people that we know in our families who served in our military who died on battlefields across this world because they believed in the fight for freedom, correct? People will die every day for things that they truly believe in. 
All of the apostles except for one had a violent death because they proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and truth in that. And when the sword was put to them to say, renounce your faith, they refused to do that. They died because of what they believed in. I have yet to find anybody, anybody at all, who would ever die for a lie. The resurrection is not fake news. It is real. Amen. Amen.